Are you an adventurer looking to take your hunt to the next level? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. Hey, everyone. I'm really excited to release this podcast today with my guest, Dan, the fitness man, Staten of Elk Shape. Dan owns a CrossFit gym and is also the owner of Elk Shape and the host of the Elk Shape podcast, which I believe will be extremely valuable to anyone that listens to my podcast. I think uh, Dan has a wealth of knowledge there. And we talk about a lot of things he talks about on his podcast, but geared towards, you know, the Eastern adventure hunter looking to head out West and, and also dive into a lot more than that from a physical fitness standpoint and why Dan uses CrossFit and why he believes for him, CrossFit is the, the best way to be in shape, to tackle on whatever the mountains are going to throw at you, as well as get into a lot about elk hunting, elk hunting early season uh, specifically, and just adventure style hunts with from Alaska through the lower 48 and everything in between. So Dan, the thing I I really liked about talking to him and, and why I wanted to have him on there is he talks about hunting a lot on his own podcast, but also is big on goal planning discipline, family work-life balance, and just really setting goals and, and crushing them. So this podcast has a little bit for everybody down to hunting tactics and and then also overall life discussions. So I'm excited to have this one come out and you guys listen to it. But first, I wanted to kind of give everyone an update here on, on what it's looking like coming into, you know, we're coming into the end of August here. And it's August 20th elk seasons, you know, for some of us less than a week away and Colorado openers coming up here this weekend. And I, the last time that I had talked about kind of my elk hunting plans, they have changed quite a bit. So some things that uh, I discussed with, with my career and my, my work have changed and I and was not able to take off as much time as I was hoping. I was I was hoping to have off, you know, three weeks at least this season. And I know everyone's like, "Oh, poor you! You don't get three weeks." Neither do uh, do we. But uh, but honestly, I was kind of bummed. I thought I was going to have only a, a week to go out elk hunting here. And, and again, I've done that in the past. There's nothing wrong with it. I'll take any elk hunting over none. But uh, got lucky and was able to, to plan a little bit longer. So next Friday, August 31st, I'll be heading out West pointing the truck towards, uh, the Colorado border and getting ready to head up into the mountains. And one of the most exciting things is that my dad will now be joining me for the first leg of the trip, which is really exciting. It was just a last minute thing. We were talking at the house last night and and I was going to be driving out by myself and, you know, kind of just doing my own thing there for the first eight days or so of the hunt. And he's like, well, I'll go out with you. And I never even thought of it because him and my brother had a, a plan, a plan to hunt uh pronghorn in Wyoming. And 
although they had extremely high odds, somehow didn't draw. So last minute, my dad said he wants to go, and I'm really excited about that. So we're going to be the first leg of the trip, so about eight days of hunting, um, give or take. We are going to be backpacking as well as a mix of, I'm sure, a little bit of truck camping and going back to the spot that I was in last year and, and getting right into the high country. This will be my first time hunting this early in September and not, you know, coming in around the 10th or so. So it'll be a different kind of style. I'm interested to see how the elk are going to react and, you know, respond this time of year. So I'm, I'm still going to, you know, keep a lot of my, my plan with, you know, bugling and moving kind of like what we talked about with Corey, but also utilizing the glass to sit down and kind of see what the elk are doing because I know specifically in this location, being up around 11,000 feet in the high country, I believe that the elk are going to be up above tree line a lot. So that may be more of a spot and stock type game there for the first, you know, however many days of the season. And um, I'm really excited to try something different there and, and see how that plays along. And then, so my dad's going to fly back out on the 10th and head back home. And I'm going to meet up with another group of guys from Pennsylvania, great group of guys that had asked me to come along. And I can't remember if I had talked about that at all on the, on the podcast before, but I'm meeting up with them. They're bringing out horses and this will be my first experience hunting with horses. So we're going to use them to help pack our gear back in, go way back into a wilderness area, set up base camp and, and hunt out of there for the next five days or so. And that, that right there has me extremely excited, a little bit different train, um, slightly lower elevation, more your traditional elk country mixed with, you know, aspens, dark timber, everything else where, where I normally go is mostly just high country and dark timber. So this will be a, a different type of environment here. And, um, I'm really excited to do that and get to test out some different gear and everything else. So I'll be Actually, I'm going to be messing around with a couple different packs and everything on the trip. So I'm, I recently started messing around with uh, Sika Gear's new Mountain Hauler 6200 pack and have been extremely impressed with it as far as weight hauling goes and everything else. And I think has been a, a huge improvement from previous uh, Sika's line of backcountry packs, I guess. Very, very impressed with it, and also without a doubt, bringing along my my trusty Kafaru that I love that pack and have absolutely no issues with it. But you know how it is, and I like trying new stuff out. So we'll see, we'll see how that goes. And also messing around with some different tents. Uh, I I just picked up. If anyone uh, follows along on social media. I just picked up a James Baroud USA truck tent. So it's the evasion hard shell tent. And I'll be using that um, driving out as well as the nights that I'm going to camp at the truck. It's a rooftop tent. goes right on the top of my, my cap on my truck. And a ladder comes out of it. And really comfortable, awesome truck camping you know, solution there. So I am really excited to get to use that a little bit. As well as my seek outside um cimarron tent that i used last year with a stove that was a game changer and that'll be kind of base camp when we pack in with horses 
And lastly, I am also trying out uh, a new tent from Nemo, which is their one-person storm tent. Sets up with a trekking pole on one side, and I'm going to use a carbon arrow on the other side. Very minimalist. The tent itself weighs right around 18 ounces. Extremely lightweight. Um, just from initial looks of it and, and talking to some people that have used it, it's not going to be a tent that I'm going to want to you know, set up where there's no trees up on the very top of a, a ridge in the high country where winds can get pretty ridiculous. But I think it's a, a really cool, you know, bivy type tent. And we'll see how, how that handles and, and if I get a chance to, to use that as well. So a bunch of different things going on here. I'm going to try to put together something to talk about my sick gear system, what I'm going to be taking with me and why and how I'm going to use that. So be looking for some things coming out there pretty soon. And yeah, elk season's less than two weeks away for me. And I cannot be any more excited to to experience this and, and get in there and hopefully come home with my first bowl. Or if not, I'd would love to see my hunting partners, you know, even more come back with something and and my dad, that would be a pretty cool, pretty cool experience. So I hope everyone enjoys this podcast with Dan as much as I did getting to talk to him. And hopefully I'll have some updates here for you soon. Dan Staten, how's it going, buddy? It's good, brother. Yeah, you caught me midweek where I'm hustling and grinding and running low on sleep. And um, I got light in the tunnel, man. I just got a couple more weeks and then I'm I'm hunting. So just trying to get everything done and I'm excited. How about you? Yeah, the same. I'm uh, sitting in a hotel room, you know, recording this podcast. Same thing, running on pretty low sleep. I set, you know, some deadlines for myself to have these podcasts out. And last night I was running very close to that deadline and finished up the podcast right at midnight when I usually launch it. So <laughs> it was, uh, it's, it's one of those weeks, you know, just, yeah. just getting after it. Right on. Yeah. So, uh, what's, what's going on today? What's, what's your day looking like? Um, we started at four, four fifteen. the alarm went off. And just made coffee and a uh, quick breakfast and uh, out the door. Opened up the gym. Um, I open it once a week. So that way I can see the morning clientele at least once a week. Otherwise, I got a really badass coach who runs the mornings. Uh, her name's Brooke. And so she uh, she takes Wednesdays off. So I roll in and open up. And I get off at about 2.33. So it's a pretty long day. And then uh, my wife is not working today, so just got home, just took a shower, and said hi to the missus. She was meeting with a contractor on uh, a kitchen remodel we're going to be doing, I guess, this winter. So uh, she was doing that. Kids are asleep, and I'm in my office just focused on doing this with you right now, man. Awesome. So before we get into your background here a little bit and who you are, I just wanted to say that uh, the reason for me having you on this podcast here is I have I have uh, kind of found found out about Elk Shape and yourself a few years back when I started looking into this whole um, journey to Western hunting and big game hunting. And it's been very inspiring to say the least. And I'm excited to 
to get you on to cover some, you know, topics surrounded by physical fitness, uh, elk hunting, and just overall, you know, business goals and, and, and just setting goals and accomplishing them. Appreciate it, man. It's awesome to hear. So with that being said, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, super simple guy. Uh, don't have very many uh, passions besides helping people in the fitness world and chasing elk with a bow. I mean, it, it doesn't get much more simpler than that. I'm a family guy. Pretty young family. I got married, I think, kind of later, like 27. Didn't have our first kid till I was 33, 34. And so now I'm almost 37 years old and just going to be, you know, have two kids, two and a four-year-old and my wife and I, which is kind of a younger family, but um, just, you know, just trying to be the best dad I can be, try to put my marriage first before anything and try to be a good Christian. And it's not easy. Um, I swear like a sailor, ask my clients and um, I'm, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'm a pretty intense guy uh, in general. I, I don't, I can't turn it off. I'm just kind of like figured out through 37 years that I'm just kind of hardwired as I'm a very serious, intense guy. Don't get me wrong. I like to joke and laugh and stuff, but like, I'm just kind of a serious guy when it comes to the things that I, I'm passionate about. I'm all in on. And, and like I told you, it's just comes down to probably helping people with their fitness journeys. And, and for myself, elk, I love elk hunting. It's literally uh, a lot of times what I live for. So yeah, that's simple, simple guy. And from the Northwest and I own a business called CrossFit Spokane Valley and we're on year 10 and uh, I've been in the strength and conditioning field for 17 years, maybe 18 years and, um, been bow hunting since 2001, been hunting my whole life. So, um, I've hunted all over in the lower 48. I've hunted Alaska. Um, elk is my number one thing. I kind of plan all my hunting season around elk hunting and backfill with other hunts. And I love archery. And so that's kind of me, man. Yeah. So I guess you kind of stole my next question here about, uh, kind of describing what elk shake was, elk shape was about, but, uh, I think you kind of got into it, but is there anything else you want to add about elk shape and what you're trying to accomplish with that? You know, Elk Shape is really just a brand that I created to put my writings, my videos, my content, if you will, at a central hub. But the goal of Elk Shape truly is to help people crush the elk hunting learning curve, which crushed me. Um, I killed an elk my very first attempt with a rifle in Washington. Uh, I hunted for maybe half an hour and killed a bull. Super, super lucky, super blessed and didn't know anything about elk hunting and here i am gutting out a 600 pound bull and so i I killed several deer up to that point and had been a rifle hunter when i could it was tough to hunt when you play sports in junior high high school and i gave up sports and um went into the fitness industry and school and got into hunting again kind of with my dad and put a bull on the ground and it was awesome and so i thought I would learn more about elk hunting and found out you could hunt them during the rut with a bow in most states. So I just bought over-the-counter tags in Idaho, which is next door to me in Washington, and hunted with my uncle and dad for a couple of years and 
and I love my uncle to death, but he really wasn't an experienced elk hunter. He wasn't the greatest mentor, but he, he's a great woodsman and a good backcountry guy. So he got me right into the backcountry right away. And dude, I didn't kill an elk for four years. Um, I killed my first bull with a bow in I think 2005 in New Mexico. So there was four years where I just tagged soup. And uh, that year I drew that tag and went, me and my dad both drove down to New Mexico and both killed our first bulls ever with bows. But I still could not get an Idaho bull until I want to say 2000, maybe eight. I killed my first Idaho bull. So there was like seven seasons of out of state elk tags in my, in my backyard where I just literally either just couldn't get a shot because the brush and I didn't know what I was doing or I kill, I should have killed a six point bull. I swear I double lunged them, but we couldn't find them. I mean, just made every mistake possible to not having the right gear, not understanding how to navigate, not understanding topography and, and really just zero knowledge of elk behavior. The only knowledge I could gain was either firsthand or watching Primo's hunting DVDs where they're hunting private ranches in Colorado and Montana where elk have no pressure. I just didn't have any like public land mentorship. So that's what Elk Shape's about is helping folks really figure out how to do it themselves on a budget, blue collar people that want to have success right out the gates and not make some of the mistakes that I made. So that's what Elk Shape's all about. Now fitness is a huge part of that. So it's a huge part of who I am. So that's why the name Elk Shape, but I like to stay in elk shape year round. It's not like getting into elk shape for just a couple weeks and then turning back into a turd. But it's just a, a cool brand that I, I'm passionate about. And it's really just kind of my passion project and my side hustle. And I love it. Yeah, no, that's that's awesome to hear. And and with my background, I'm I'm a big believer in overall healthy lifestyle from you know from a hunting standpoint, obviously, but just from an overall you know well being standpoint. And so I, I kind of wanted to talk to you a little bit about what what you think your you know the importance of fitness when it comes to elk hunting and how that can help you from not just a physical standpoint but also a mental standpoint. Yeah, well, I think a lot of hunting comes down to what's between the ears. Not only just your intelligence, we as humans can reason. Um, we're, we, we rely more on just instinct. We can think it through consciously. But uh, mental toughness to me is just about everything. And I found that I couldn't get mentally tough until I did things that challenged me, not only physically, but challenged my discipline and challenged my self-talk and helped me overcome rationalization, which is just that little voice inside of your head that'll tell you that's good enough, or you can do this later, or you're, what you're, where you're at fitness-wise is plenty. And so if you can really start to learn to mute that voice and take the hard path, the high road, you know, and go against the grain because I'll be honest, you know, there's going to be a lot of times when I'm elk hunting where, you know, to get the win right is really going to take me gaining an extra thousand feet and going an extra mile to get the win right. And I don't want to do that. I want to just go after this bull. He's right there. But discipline will win if I can just shut that rationalization up and say, no, nope, I got to do it the hard way. It's the right way. 
And to me, you need reps at that. And I get my reps inside the four walls of CrossFit. Uh, just about every day I'm doing something I don't really feel like doing, but I'm going to do it anyways. And those multiple reps, they help improve that mental toughness muscle that needs repetition and doesn't do well with atrophy. You, you don't get reps. It will get weaker. It will get smaller. And you will succumb to weakness and, and rationalization. So hopefully that makes sense that I think – Mental toughness is everything, and I don't think anyone's really born mentally tough. You have to keep reps at mental toughness reps or keep reps at doing the hard thing and staying disciplined, eating healthy when, you know, that hot pizza and cold beers right over there, and you're over there eating your chicken salad. You know what I mean? But yeah. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a, that's a good point, and I, I've heard – people say in the past about mental toughness being something you're just born into and can't really be made and I completely agree with your standpoint on that and I, I think just my journey of elk hunting in the last couple of years has really has made me I guess mentally tougher in every part of my life you know when big things happen things that may be unplanned events anything that happens you're able to persevere through that and you know stay disciplined keep your goals in mind and and get past it because it's to, to be honest i mean when you're on some of these hunts and everything it's not always fun so when you can apply those different things into every part of your life with the discipline of like you said waking up at 4 15 every morning and and work like so i i do that to find time to work out I get up every morning, 4.30 in the morning, and do a workout, whether that's, you know, whether that's 30 minutes, whether that's an hour, depends on what I can get in, but I'll make sure that I, I get that done, even when you just want to hit that alarm clock and, you know, lay in bed. Those things help so much, and I, I've seen the, the improvements over the last couple of years within, again, elk hunting and everything else in life when you have that discipline to do that. So with CrossFit, so you're saying the, the high reps, the high intensity, everything there is, is what is helping you a lot with that, that, uh, I guess becoming more mentally tough. Yeah. I don't know if I was getting mentally tough back in my early days when I did five sets of five bench and five sets of five, deadlifts and maybe five sets of five lap pull downs you know with lots of rest in between sets I mean, was it hard and challenging sure and and did i get stronger yes but there's something to be said about the intensity component of crossfit which we can get into but the intensity piece where you're doing things under duress because let's be honest fatigue makes cowards of us all so when you are forced to do things under duress, you really get tested because you'll want to slow down the pace. You'll want to look for that place to breathe or I need chalk. I'll get some chalk right now or, um, you know, man, I, I, I might just want to shave one round and not do all five. You know, a lot of that justification, rationalization stuff will come into the workouts every damn day, every day. And it's challenging and and you don't have to do CrossFit to be ready for hunting. But the reason why I choose to do CrossFit is I'm looking back at my hunting portfolio. And you're talking about a guy who doesn't – I don't spend a lot of time with a backpack on. I try to backpack once a week. It doesn't always happen. I don't run. Like I don't do trail running. 
and I don't do a lot of this rucking and and I don't track my heart rate. I just do CrossFit, general physical preparedness, super broad fitness, covering a little bit of everything, not being an expert at one thing, but being good or respectable at a lot of things and really working on my individual weaknesses more than working on my strengths has made me extremely well-rounded and obviously the mental toughness, which we talked about. And I believe doing the training that I do, I don't have to spend hours upon hours in the gym or on the mountain or on the trail or on the road. It's just, it's a time economy thing where I can get a lot of bang for my buck and especially running your own business and doing a side hustle, being a dad, I'm always doing something. And so for me, this is literally the best way for me to get in mountain shape without being in the mountains. Yeah, no, that's, that's a good point. And, and I, I've never done CrossFit myself. I've never grown up around a, a CrossFit gym or anything, but I try to take a lot of principles of it with the high intensity and low rest between things. And that has been the, the biggest help for me when I first went to Colorado I mean, I, I kind of had started at that point changing things up a little bit, but I was focusing, you know, 100%, it seemed like on, or not 100%, but a lot on just endurance, just running and and then weightlifting because that's all I did, you know, when I was in college and everything. I did, you know, the five sets of five, you know, each muscle group and everything else. But since I switched to, I well, to be honest, I don't have a, a gym membership myself right now. I have kettlebells i bought sandbags some different things there and i just do a a lot of reps and a lot of movements in a short amount of time and when i went out last year to elk hunt it made such a difference and uh, i mean you know you, you can obviously you can obviously kill an elk without being in optimal shape but i can i mean I, i'm sure you can speak of this way better than i can but you're never going to wish that you were in worse shape. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, every year when I, when I'm hunting in the mountains or even when I'm hunting in out East where I'm from, it's in the Appalachian mountain region for whitetails. You know, I'm packing a tree stand back in, I'm hanging hunt. I'd, so I hang my stand, I pull it back down when I'm done because I'm hunting pieces, public pieces of land and I'm always moving. You never wish that, uh, Oh, I, 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 you know, I, I wish I wouldn't have got up at 4.30 every morning and do those workouts. No, you find reasons to want to do more or find what your weaknesses are. And that was, that's been the biggest, you know, realization for me and how some of that, you know, high intensity movements and, you know, work under stress kind of ha has helped out from, a, again, coming from a elk newbie standpoint. You know, when you don't have a lot of elk hunting knowledge, you don't have a lot of experience. Maybe you've never even heard a bull bugle in the wild, but you got yourself an out west elk tag. You really don't have very many things that are going for you because experience is everything. But what you can do is you can focus on the things that you can control. You, for instance, you can make damn sure that you know how to tune your bow. Your bow is tuned. Fill points and broadheads are hitting right where they need to be. You can make damn sure that you have your bow doped. You can make sure that you have all the greatest gear in the world and you've used all the gear and you have a system in place. 
you can control that. You can control how much time you spent on Google Earth, uh, other, you know, YouTube and hunting forums and calling biologists and fishing game. You can always make that extra phone call or spend that extra hour. I mean, that's the stuff that you can control, but you cannot control the wind and the mountains. It's going to do what it's going to do, and you're going to learn the hard way. And you can't control a bull elk. He's going to do what he's going to do on that particular moment. Either he's hot or he's selfish and he wants to keep all his cows to himself. He's call shy. He's whatever. He's pressured or he's just old and mature and been around. All that stuff you can't control. But the one thing that I feel like has been my biggest ally when I sucked at elk hunting was my fitness level. I was driven I mean, extremely far beyond driven and ready to do whatever it took to be successful. If it meant sleeping on the mountain or getting up two hours before dark and hiking in. And there was never a day where I slept in because it was raining. I would go no matter what. And I would go after any and every bugle I heard, regardless of the terrain features that were in my way. And if you can grind day in and day out, you're going to make yourself an opportunity. So fitness will always be an ally to you if you suck at hunting right now. If you're just not that experienced, and it's that's not your fault. You'll get your experience. You'll get your reps. But in the meantime, you better try to focus on what you can control, like the things I just mentioned, to put yourself in the best position possible to get that elk on the ground. Yeah. And, yeah, like you said, I mean, you kind of explained, you know, my – my experience in the last few years of elk hunting to give you a quick background i have not killed an elk yet i've been hunting for two seasons of elk hunting but i do feel like the phys- my physical fitness has helped me get into those positions i've had opportunities i've had more opportunities than i that i should have but uh I, you know i screwed them all up from a setup standpoint or just a lot of, you know, like you said, the elk hunting knowledge that comes with experience. And from each one of those mistakes I made, I learned from it. And then, you know, from talking to people, you know, like you and, and some others that are a lot more experienced, I learned what I did wrong in those, those situations. But to even get into those, into those opportunities, for, for example, the place I was hunting in Colorado, I was in the high country around 11,000 to, to 12,000 feet. And a lot, what, there was a lot of pressure from people coming in from the trail systems. And the place I ended up finding the elk were in this steep canyon. And it seemed like that was when I got out there, I thought it was almost impossible to get down into. But once you figured out how to get in there and, and move throughout it, you know, opportunities were there. And, and I, I definitely, you know, attribute a lot of that just those opportunities and that experience to being able to hike there and be able to do that um under pressure i had tracked everything on my my garmin the first year out there and in seven days i think it was 77 miles somewhere around there that that i put on the boots and it's you know it's it's easy to do that you know a day or two but to be able to keep up a a you know a hard pace throughout that and that terrain and and keep your mind right is not easy and i've talked about it on this podcast before but i thought i was going to have you know a mental breakdown on day four of the the first trip just it was just so you know i was just beat down and everything was you know everything with my body and my mind just felt like i was just wore out and 
it was kind of a wake up call to be able to, you know, work on those things, work on those weaknesses and practice, you know, year round with, with putting yourself in uncomfortable situations so that once it comes to it, and like you said, it's raining on day six or seven in the morning, you don't sleep that extra hour or two that you still go out and you realize that you've been working towards this all year. You're going to leave, you know, everything you have on the mountain at that point. Yeah, you better. Elk hunting is a fourth quarter game, especially the less experience you have. I think most of your success, if you even get to experience it, will be in the fourth quarter when you finally kind of start to figure out the Elks program. And you ain't going to figure that out if you're tired or you're homesick or you're just kind of a mental little person and you just don't have the grit to grind and put yourself and, – and think of it this way, man, like – Let's say you just don't know that much about elk hunting and you get yourself into 10 different scenarios where a bull is under 30 yards and you screw up your setup every time. You're either behind a tree, you picked the wrong lane, you made the wrong call, or you moved, you drew too early, you didn't draw early enough. Well, you might need 20 of those encounters until you kind of get things figured out and then you might bump your success up to where you're killing five out of 10 experiences similar. And then maybe you get even more knowledge and you get even more intelligent. And now you're killing eight out of 10 of those close setups. And that just comes from reps. But if you don't have the physical fitness and the prowess and the mental fortitude, you're not going to get those 10 encounters to blow first. So you're just going to extend your learning curve. And it's everything. It's going to take everything to get, close to a bull with a bow and unless you're just maybe just lucky and and i'd rather be lucky than good but do you know what i'm saying it's just going to take a lot of reps for you to kind of start figuring out what to do and when to do it and you're never going to be perfect but man huh, you're going to start figuring out real quick what you're going to start knowing what the elk's going to do before they do it and that's when the game changes yeah no that's what, that's what I'm hoping anyways. <laughs> like I said, I can't speak from experience with, with actually killing one yet. But um, if I can just make, you know, one of those situations from, again, experience happen, um, happen the right way and learn from it, then I'll be, I'll be extremely happy. So <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm excited for that to come up this year. You know, I'm just about a month, actually a month away from today, I'll be heading back into the Colorado backcountry, So I'm excited. Are you going solo? Um, no, I'm not. I'm going with a, with a couple guys this time. I was going, I was actually planning on going solo because the, who I was supposed to go with at the, at the beginning. Um, I usually, I go out with my brother and, um, he just got married and is going to Alaska for his honeymoon during September. So, not real happy with him for doing that, but <laughs> I can't uh, can't change that. So I found another group of guys, great group of guys with similar goals and and same thing that uh, I'm excited to go out with. So it'll Dude, be that's awesome. It'll be a good time. So when uh, when's your elk season starting? It never ends, brother. I uh, <laughs> I'm thinking about elk 365, and I don't say that like I do kind of say that jokingly, but not really. So the my home. My home place to elk hunt is in North Idaho. Um, Ten years ago, my dad and I bought a cabin together, uh, 50-50, to just elk hunt out of where we grew up elk hunting. And um, 
it's really more like a house, quite honestly. It's a very nice cabin. And, you know, when you're single and 26 years old and you've been working full time for almost 10 years, you can afford that. You know, you don't have kids or a wife. So thank God I got that before I got married. Um, So some people think like I'm super rich because I have, you know, a cabin, a really nice cabin in in Idaho. But I don't. I'm not. I'm definitely blessed. But just through hard work and discipline – um, and the goal, by the way, we can, we don't talk about finances is to have that thing paid off in three more years and then have that kind of be like a legacy piece, hopefully to keep in the family. But, um, the reason why I bring that up is that that cabin is somewhere I go to during rifle season and I'm not elk hunting. I'm keeping tabs on how many trucks are driving by with how many bulls in the back of it. I'm, I'm constantly running trail cameras year round in there and moving them and adding more to my collection, and I'm like a damn biologist, man. I'm tracking those herds. I'm always wolf hunting in there, trying to keep those numbers low. Um, I'm shed hunting in there. I'm bear hunting in there, trying to keep the bear population in check. Um, I'm always in there getting firewood, picking huckleberries, dirt bike riding, hiking. I'm in those mountains. So as far as my my back pocket place to go, that my go-to over-the-counter is right there in North Idaho, and I know I like the back of my hand, and I'm always adding knowledge to that. So I scout year-round there. Now, what my elk season this year is a little different. I've drawn some pretty amazing tags I've been putting in for dec- over a decade in almost all the good states out west. So I cashed in on Nevada, so I'm going to hunt Nevada elk finally. Nice. Uh, I think yeah, 13, that'll be awesome. Maybe 13 points I think I put in. So... I'm going there, and they open August 25th, so I'm going to get there, I think, two days prior to do some scouting, and I've never stepped foot in the unit. It's been all e-scouting and uh, talking to a close friend who's hunted there before, and I got my maps, and I got my Onyx, all my maps saved, and I'm ready to go. And then uh, when that hunt ends, or if I kill even early, I'm ready to go to my next tag, which is in Wyoming. I haven't hunted Wyoming in 10 years. I'm going to a a unit I've never been into and a mountain range I've never stepped foot into, but I'm going with a friend who hunted there last year. And so I'm going to lean on his knowledge and, um, that's going to be a great hunt as well. And if I get time, I will come back to my cabin and finish the season there. Uh, if that works out, so it could be a three, a three bowl year. I've done those a couple of times. It may be a noble year, and that's the beauty of elk hunting is no matter how many elk you've killed, the, the slate is wiped clean every year. And there is not a season that hasn't gone by where I've had to stop and go, have I ever really killed – how the hell did I ever kill an elk? This is so hard. And I'm sure that will happen to me this year where um, – I don't know how many elk I've killed, but over – not 30, but over 20 in the last uh, 11 years. and. I will stop at some point in 2018 and probably laugh at myself and say, dude, are you sure you've ever even killed an elk? Because you always are making mistakes and you just got to build a back, <laughs> roll with the punches and bounce back, keep your mental game sharp and put your best foot forward day in and day out. You know, I tell people on my podcast, you cannot control the outcome as much as you want to. You can only control your effort and your attitude and that's it so 
we talked about the things to control before the season, and that's the equipment, the scouting, the you know your your, your weapon. But when you get in the field, man, you can't control how many other hunters are there, or what kind of winter, or what how what the wolf situation's like, or the wind, or any of that kind of stuff. You just can control your effort and attitude. And so um, the the slate's white clean, brother. So I'm I'm a brand new elk hunter. I haven't done it in 11 months. I'm j- just you know it's it's a fun process to start over i can tell you that much yeah so b- before i ask you about kind of what what your strategy is going into nevada you know going in the end of august you had said um when you bought that cabin um when you were 26 single not married everything there kind of sounds like you know i'm 26 right now in a similar situation so are you telling me that i need to to buy a hunting cabin and and uh get it taken care of <laughs> yeah you know you you i tell you this much if you're 26 and you're not married you don't have kids you need to go do all those hunts you've been that you want to do right now pay cash for them save up and go just work your ass off and go i mean i'm fortunate enough that i've hunted alaska i think four times before i was married um which is awesome Canada, uh, all over the out west, and I still hunt a lot. And God bless my wife because I told her before we got married, um, this is what I do. This is what I do, and uh, it's, I'm not changing that part of me. That's just kind of who I am, and so this is part of the package deal. So before you get tangled up with a woman, go do some of those dream hunts. You can buy tags, not gear. You know what I mean? Yeah. I love that saying, and just go go cut your teeth. Alaska, there's so many things you can do in Alaska. I think everyone needs to go see Alaska. It's it's awesome. And, uh, yeah, so I don't know if you need a hunting cabin per se, but um, my, when I do hunt in Idaho, I, I'm pretty soft. I sleep in a bed every night. I shower every morning. I drink coffee out of a coffee pot. I watch the news. And um, don't get it twisted, though. Part of the part of the trade-off on doing that is I have at least an hour truck drive, potentially an hour dirt bike ride, and then potentially still hiking in from there every day. And you got to flip that on the back end. I usually don't camp out in the woods, so I got to go hike back to my dirt bike, ride back to my truck, load my dirt bike, drive back to the cabin, gas my dirt bike, check everything, make sure mechanically we're sound. Usually I'll shoot my bow in the headlights of my truck because it is pretty steep, rugged riding and your bows attached to your backpack and things can change and move. And I learned that a long time ago to shoot my bow. Every time I leave the cabin and come home, shoot that night. Um, and then you got to make dinner and try not to pass out before dinner's done. Make yourself eat. A lot of times you're not hungry. You just want to sleep. It's a grind, but yeah. um, I can tell you, a, a warm bed and stuff is nice. And, and we do do spike camps and we do backpack hunt out of there as well. But you know, a lot of times we've gotten some really good hunting just getting that uh, out of the cabin. And and I'm not a guy who sleeps during the day uh, elk hunting. I don't take naps during elk hunting season. And I'm a huge like you talk to my clients at my gym. I'm I'm on their ass about their sleep. Then it's their nutrition, and then it's their training because sleep is everything. And uh, but I am a complete hypocrite in September. I don't know what it is, but I just I run on about four or five hours of sleep a day, and I just think I know from experience that those those days are finite, and I can't squander. I gotta I gotta grind every day to get it done. So 
that's what it takes. Yeah. And, um, so you were talking about Alaska. I, I just went to Alaska for the first time, um, about a month or month and a half ago during the summer solstice there. I, uh, I went up there for the Heather's choice company retreat and got to see Alaska from a raft and camping and doing a bunch of things. And I had already been planning on it, but now it's definite that 2019 I'm going up there to hunt something. And I'd, I've realized it's not as difficult as I originally thought it was going to be as far as like a planning standpoint, it takes more planning, but it's not, you know, out of reach. So it's, it's an unbelievable, unbelievable place. That's awesome to hear you say that. Um, my first time I hunted Alaska, I don't know how I did it, but I was 21. I paid, um, for a charter flight to King Salmon. And then I paid a bush pilot to drop me off solo in the middle of a mountain range. And I killed a caribou with my bow by myself in the middle of nowhere, Alaska. One of the most life-changing events. You talk about finding out what you're made of and who you really are and connecting with the creator. This, this is, this was the ticket for me. It was life-changing. Was I scared? Sometimes I was. And was I doubtful of myself? Sometimes I was. But uh, from a learning experience, that's one of the best things I've ever decided to do, wouldn't trade it for the world, was just a solo 21-year-old punk do-it-yourself caribou hunt in Alaska. And it was awesome. You know what I mean? So go do it, man. Yeah. Even if no, even if no one will go with you, get an inReach. I didn't have a DeLorme inReach. I didn't have one of those. I just, I just did it, man. And my family thought I was crazy, but I did it and would do it again in a heartbeat. Yeah. I actually just picked up an inReach mini because I was, well, I was planning on going solo for some of the trip, some things with, uh, with work and everything didn't work out that I'm able to go as long as I was planning. But, um, anyways, I, uh, you had said something too about, you know, buying tags and not gear. So what, what I do to be able to get gear is work at an archery shop part-time and, uh, that, that's how I get my gear and, nice. you know, just fig, you know, figure it out. I figured out what, you know, what I wanted from an experience standpoint, and then I can use, you know, my money that I'm saving from my, from my regular job and everything for tags and travel and everything else and putting that aside. And for when I want gear, I work extra hours at the shop or do whatever I need to, to do that. So there's, there's always a way you can always find it. Just, uh, depends how hard you, you want to work for it, I guess. Dude, the, I interviewed a guy a couple of podcasts ago named Brian sales. He lives in North Carolina. He's a pilot and he already had an envelope that he was putting hundred dollar bills in every month for 2020 talk about discipline talk about delayed gratification talk about getting the big picture and you know just doing the hard thing now i was so impressed when he said that and uh it just proves if you really want something bad enough it's yours for the taking you just have to do it yeah and like you said it's a planning thing it's not something that's going to happen overnight and I listened to that podcast with Brian and, and I thought that was awesome to, to hear that. And that's it's something uh, a friend of mine, Matt comment, he, um, has brought up to me before and he's like, Hey, you know, I, I've done sheep hunts and I've done this and I'm, I'm not a rich guy. He's like, it just takes discipline. And you know, when you want that $50,000 truck, instead of doing that, 
you know, drive your old truck for five years and the money that you would put in front that you would be putting for that, there's your sheep hunt, you know, and, and just, there's so many different ways of looking at it that you can have these experiences you want with some planning and discipline, like you said, and I'm, you know, learning the, the more and more that as I get older, just delayed gratification and realizing that I can't always have everything I want right now, but you have to plan for it. And that's, believe me, that's taken a lot of, you know, mistakes and experiences to get there, but, uh, you know, continue to try for it. And, and that's what, you know, I hope with this podcast too, to be able to show people that even if you don't have, you know, a lot of money or this or that, if you want something bad enough and you want these experiences, you can make them happen. 100%. Yeah. So with that being said, let's, let's talk a little bit here about, uh, your Nevada hunt. So you're going in the end of August. What, what is your kind of strategy going into that? Well, keep in mind, I've never been there. So I am going to be adaptable to what the circumstances. Now I have been to Nevada multiple times hunting mule deer and I've been in places where there are big bulls. So I've seen lots of elk back in the high country and and where I'm going is more high desert than it is like steep mountain ranges, but uh, it's going to be a glassing game. So figuring out on Google Earth where to glass to see certain drainages, certain features, knowing where water is and figuring out how scarce water is is going to be important when we get there. Now, in Nevada, you cannot run trail cameras. That's a new law. And I mean, like, for nothing. Uh, so won't probably be sitting water in a ground blind unless we just know for certain. We probably got visual confirmation that a bull is hitting water. But most of the elk will probably hit water in the afternoons. And uh, the rut probably won't be happening when we first get there. But bulls will be August 25th. I would assume most bulls will shed velvet by then and they're feeling a little froggier and there'll be some bugling. Now I have been in Nevada in the high country and been woken up out of my bivy sack to a bull bugling all night. And then when I woke up that morning, I got eyes on him and he was a seven point in line, seven by seven. He had like 60 cows, a couple of rags. And it was like, it seemed like it was a month later. It seemed like it was September 25th. I mean, he was just bugling and chasing cows and checking every cow and uh, it was like August 22nd or 3rd. So you just never know what's going to be happening, but we're going to just kind of adjust. But uh, we've got about five or six places to glass from. And then additionally, we have four or five other places to check out. Don't know the road systems by heart, but just know them off Google Earth. I've dropped several points of interest and got everything, all my maps created, and kind of have a written out game plan as to where to go first, where to go second, where to camp where to get gas, what things to bring down. And then um, one thing that I talk about is just trying to bulletproof everything. Like I said in prior, it was controlling what I could control. So I know I'm bringing a four-wheeler, which means I'm bringing a trailer, a utility trailer, which means I got to grease the axles on that and make sure I got two spare tires and have all the tools to do that. And I just went from top to bottom through my entire four-wheeler, changing out every fluid and checking everything. And so just being prepared because when you travel that far, you just, you know, you're going to have to be able to do and fix things right then and there. You might get a flat tire in your truck, whatever. So um, just trying to be prepared and not have to be MacGyver, like have the tools I need right then and there. And then 
far as the hunt plan goes, I think it's going to be probably not a call-in situation, but more of like an intercept or even hunt them like mule deer. So. Yeah. Okay. That's, that was going to be my question. Do you do a lot of calling or does that all depend on the situation? Um, God, that's, I mean, yeah, I'll call a ton when it's necessary. And that's usually when I just need to find elk. Yeah. And a lot of times it'll be at night or before it's light. I need to know where the bulls are at to get to, but, but I would prefer to glass and glass and let the glass do the walk-in and learn the elk's pattern, especially late August, there's still going to be some patterns. And then take advantage of those patterns and figure out where to intercept or or even where to make a stock like a mule deer. Um, I don't know with the juniper pinion situation, you know, if a big bull goes into the patch of junipers, you're not going to know exactly where he bedded down. You know, your odds go down. So trying to make good plays on good high percentage and being patient. Um, I'm not super picky. I'm not like I need a 365 or better bull. Um, but with this tag, I mean, obviously I want to get something special considering the time I put in, but I'm more or less looking forward to seeing what they have in, in inventory. And I think I'll know right away if I want a specific bull and, and try to find his weakness and exploit it. Now, Wyoming will be different because I've talked to my buddy who was there. There'll be some calling but there's the elk will be in bigger herds and there's a lot of bulls to cows. And so they're going to be doing all the talking on their own. So it's going to be a lot of just slip in type stuff on those elk, let them do them in Idaho where it's brushy and whatnot. There's going to be days where you're going to need to call and challenge bulls with the bugle tube predominantly and get in their face and get them cornered or pressure them and get them to come in and, that's that's really a lot of fun. It's really difficult to do solo, which is primarily how I hunt, but it can be done. Um, there's some techniques to that. But So to answer your question, I'm thinking Nevada is going to be more like a mule deer hunt, essentially. I think um, Wyoming would be more of like my style of run silent, run deep, let the elk do the thing and, and move in on them. There are some places to glass, but the it's high, high country, and so it'll be sneaking in on bulls, big herds, and trying to get past several sets of eyes of cows and calves and spikes and rag bulls. And, and then if I do get a chance to hunt my home territory in North Idaho, it's going to be, it'll probably be a lot more bugling and challenging and find the right bull that wants to play ball. Okay. Yeah. That's uh, like you said, and it all depends on the terrain and everything too. Obviously, you know, you're not gonna, if it's a lot more open terrain, bugling will pinpoint you lot more than you know if you're in brushy train of north idaho yeah so like north idaho i don't even pack binoculars like that's useless yeah Uh, like that's so that should just explain that like i've had many bulls under 20 yards and i can't get a shot because of alders or huckleberry brush or thick thick timber whatever so yeah um and those elk i would say the more i don't know if this is necessarily true but generally speaking the brushier dense country the elk are more vocal they have to be like roosevelt's um which i've never hunted but i'm acting like i know but you just they, they'll come in closer but you just you may not get a shot yeah. due to that whereas in a little more open country you just gotta be a little more delicate giving away your position i'd much rather just be sneaky and i love it when bulls are bugling at each other on their own i just love that i feel like the odds when they don't know you're there 
you can really manipulate the situation and turn the table. So, yeah, no, that, that makes sense. And where I was hunting in Colorado, it was in uh, a wilderness area and, and basically dark timber. There was, there was no aspens even where I was at as high up as it was. And it was all blowdowns and everything. And a couple of the opportunities I had were 15, 20 yards and I couldn't get a shot from just the amount of, you know, with the trees blown down and branches everywhere and this and that. And when I got into those deep canyons, they were definitely more vocal. Um, and even for me to be able to find them, it seemed like that, that I had to be more vocal with them. But, uh, once they were up, you know, above tree line or anything, then it was kind of a different story. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So that's, well, that, that's awesome. It sounds like you have a pretty good lineup, you know, going into this, uh, elk season. That's for sure. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, I mean, elk are visuals to some degree. I mean, a lot of times they want to confirm for sure, mm-hmm. but a lot of times they want to confirm with their nose almost nine times out of 10. So you just got to be able to get yourself in a position where they can't confirm your scent. And when they attempt to do that, you have set up off that decision that they will make. And not all the time. I mean, you might have a bull come in straight downwind. Uh, he's just rut crazy and doesn't give a crap. And those are the great days, but they are few and far between. The bull is going to rely on their nose or sometimes their visual. And so that's when you're working with the team, like you're going to be, you guys really need to be picky on your setups and someone's got to be the quarterback and really execute the game plan to get you in the position to make that shot and, and know what that bull is going to do. Um, and go from there. You know, I think the more calling that I do, the smaller bulls, um, you're going to have to, if you're picky on bull, um, which most guys aren't, most guys just want to kill a bull. The best way to, to kill any raghorn bull is by calling them in with a cow call or a small spike bugle, and they're dumb. They, they're not as smart as an older bull. They haven't played the game as long. And I think with that being said, hunting with a setup with a team of like a one call or two shooters or what, vice versa, something like that, is definitely ups your odds. Um, when you're going solo, you have to be the caller and the shooter. You just have to kind of think things through a little bit more and pay attention to moving. You can't make a call and stay where you're at. Uh, you have to make that call and then put yourself out in front of that last sound you made. And you better get there quick and you better get there stealth-like. Um, and, and a lot of times that will help your situation if that makes sense. Yeah, no, that, that definitely makes sense. And as you're saying that, I can think of situations in my head where you know that has happened. And either you know I messed it up when I, when I was by myself, um, I there was a, a five point bull in a wallow and um, I, I was trying to call him out of there towards me. And as soon as I made the cow call, I saw him starting to come. So, you know, I, I booked it, you know, that way, but I, my setup was not uh, one stealthy and two, I ended up setting up kind of where he came in. There was a tree in between us. And although he was at 15 yards, he was stopped looking at my previous location where there was nothing there anymore, no cow. And, you know, then he just got spooked at that point. Yeah. So he was going for visual confirmation Mm -hmm. and, um, you probably didn't know the trail system or whatever. You didn't know, you know, that's part of having home field advantage in Idaho is like a lot of times I've been there. I might know where the bull might want to go to, to see, cause a lot of times we just want that visual first. Um, even in that country and, or at least if they can't get the wind, they'll want to see. And, uh, so that's where you gotta, but you did good. I mean, you moved up and you don't have to be sneaky on elk, like a whitetail. You really can't, 
break, you can't be afraid to break brush and hit a stick. That's not a big deal. It's being, being loud is not a problem. In fact, I'd rather see people err on the side of being too aggressive than err on the side of being not aggressive. Cause I feel like people are just too passive when they're first learning how to elk hunt. Um, if you really want to make it happen, you just got to be extremely aggressive, but smart, but I think you have to make the moves. Yeah. Aggressive, but not reckless. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, in North Idaho, do you, do you hunt whitetails at all? Not well, I have hunted and killed a couple of nice bucks in Idaho, like mountain bucks, but, um, Washington is where I spend most of my time hunting mountain whitetails, uh, just because of the price is like 40 bucks versus 300 bucks. Um, and you can bait in Washington. So a lot of times I'll, like I'll hike in alfalfa, uh, corn, sweet feed, molasses mix into these setups, which is super nice. Um, it's not a guarantee by the way, people thinking, Oh, that's cheating. That's not, it's a legal way to hunt. And It'll get the does coming in, but the bucks are still super cautious. But in Idaho, you can't bait, so you have to kind of run a scrape system and use scents and funnels, and it's definitely more challenging. Um, if I tag out early in Washington for whitetail, then I will definitely – I always go to Idaho. There's a few places I like to go there, but uh, I do like whitetail hunting quite a bit. It's probably um, – it's not my absolute favorite thing, but – you're talking to a guy who's not afraid to sit sun up, sun down a week straight in November. It, to me, I, I get the process. I love it. You know what I mean? So, yeah, um, I love whitetail hunting, especially mountain bucks for whatever reason. Yeah, no, that's so where, where I'm from is right in the Appalachian region, North central Pennsylvania is, is where I grew up and where I, where I hunt. And there's, there's over 2 million acres of public land in Northern Pennsylvania. Not a lot of people know about, and it's majority of forest. So there's no food plots. There's nothing when you think of whitetail hunting. It's relatively steep terrain, just not at elevation or anything like out west. And that's why I just have a – that's always been how I grew up. I didn't hunt farm country, whitetails, anything like that. I I am going to plan a, you know, a western whitetail hunt somewhere, you know, in, in, in those areas, you know, whether that's Idaho. Um, I'm hearing more and more about Washington, you know, northern Montana – um, talk to a few guys that, that live and hunt there and that kind of style whitetail hunting just gets me fired up because it reminds me of what, you know, what I'm doing at home and I can kind of take those tactics out there and see, see how they, how they work. But yeah, for sure. Yeah. To me, there's, there's nothing like a, an old mountain buck. That's for sure. They're so cagey, so smart and just survivalist, man. Whitetail are very I don't know. They're amazing. It seems like they, they can out survive any animal harsh winters. They'll move down. They'll survive. They'll live in someone's backyard. If that's what it means to make it through the winter. Whereas stubborn old mule deer buck might stay on the mountain way too long and, and not make it out, you know? Mm -hmm. So, and, uh, you know, you got a lot of wolves over there in Western Montana and North Idaho, high density of wolves. So you got that to, you know, play with as well. Yeah. All right. With that being said, Dan, let's, let's talk a little bit about how with you being, you know, busy with owning your own business, your side hustle and hunting and everything. How do you balance that family, you know, work life and, and hunting as well? 
Man, balance is not my forte. Like I told you guys in the beginning, I'm pretty much all or none. So it's it's difficult to say the least. And I'm still navigating these waters. But um, this is going to be a hard test for me this year to be gone from my family for about four or five weeks. Um, just just not seeing the kids every day is going to be really hard. But what I try to do is be super intentional about carving out the entire summer for them. We've gone on four different camping trips. Um, we're going again this weekend. I did zero scouting this summer when it came to Wyoming and Nevada. I just, I decided 26 year old Dan, not married kids. I would have had two or three scouting trips in Nevada. You know what I mean? It's not that far of a drive. It's like an eight, nine hour drive. Do it. But 37 year old Dan is like, Whoa, I need to, I need to really fill up their cups, quality time and just be present put the phone down and don't scroll, put it away and be present. And I think that's really important. So I'm trying to do a better job there. I'm making an attempt to really to do that and to make some memories. And, um, and with my wife, especially, I usually, like I said, if I can't draw a good elk tag, I'll hunt right out of the cabin. So I'm talking, I can call her every night and check in if I need to come home, it's a two-hour drive, and I can skip a day of hunting if I need to to be there for anything that she may need. That's not going to be like that this year. So what I've done is I went ahead and got two different nannies coming in on two different days of the week just to give her a break from the kids. So I made all those arrangements. Um, I've taken care of um, – basically, I've spoiled her this, this summer more than ever. And I don't have to, but I think – I want to. So I got her a paddleboard. She loves the water. Uh, I've got her some cool workout gear. She's a workout freak just like me. I've set up and built and purchased a whole workout gym in our garage that's so legit. I mean, we've got a rower, a rogue echo bike, bumper plates, comp plates, pull-up bar, kettlebell, box jumps, all right there. So if she, she's one of her favorite things to do is to work out. So if She's got the kids and they're in nap time. Then she doesn't have to drive to the gym. She can work out there. So I spent all summer kind of like saving up and, and getting these things for her. They're a tax write-off for me as well. Um, and then uh, <laughs> there's, uh, you know, I got, uh, she's got a massage that she doesn't know about scheduled. She's got a full color and cut. And for guys, that means that she's going to get her hair cut and they're going to dye it. And girls love that. They love their hair. So she's got a full two-hour appointment that she doesn't know about. And then I got her a $200 gift card to Lululemon. And I'm, she's going to get that present on Friday, which is her birthday, in two days from now. And I'm just going to you know, show her the calendar and show her, hey, here's your days where you don't have the kids while I'm gone. And hey, oh, here's some things I've gotten for you. And she, she's super thankful, man. And, and if I hadn't done all that stuff, I just don't know if it'd be as good a situation when I come home from being gone. And it's still going to be hard. Yeah. But, those are the things, and it's just about being intentional. You, you know what, Dan? I mean, I, I think out of this whole podcast and all the good information you've given out, I think this is probably where I should be taking the notes the most. <laughs> you know, it's uh, it's uh, I know I know for me, I I struggle with with that, and it's not it's not intentional with doing that. But when it comes down to whether that's me, you know, working on my own business or, or hunting or whatever it may be. Sometimes you, know, you just get in that mindset 
and you're just focused on it. And I think that's one of my biggest weaknesses and something that, that I'm really trying to focus on going forward is, you know, making time for loved ones and making sure, like you said, you're intentional with it and not being distracted by everything else. You know, like you said, you're all or none. So when you're working, you're working, but when it's family time, it's family time. Definitely. And that's a good way to go, man. And I'm still learning. So I don't have this thing figured out. Don't think I'm some, I'm just, well, I'll let you know after the season, how it goes. I mean, there'll <laughs> still be, still be struggle. If it was easy, everybody would stay married. It's difficult. It's hard. And, and that's okay with me. And so, um, my wife's a saint and you know what? She loves elk meat. So at the end of the day, I need to get some bulls killed because the freezer is looking pretty low and, and we really do love elk meat, man. So yeah. So yeah, what you're saying is you, you definitely got to kill a bull or two out of those three tags to, to make that, it a little bit easier when you go home. 100%. All right. Def- perfect. <laughs> not a doubt in my mind. There's not a doubt in my mind unless something catastrophic happens. I'm going to get an opportunity. I'm going to try to make the most of it. So you got to believe in yourself because if you don't, no one else will. So yeah, I'm super, I'm super pumped to get something down on the ground and, um, you know, I'll take what the good Lord gives me and, um, I hope to create some great memories and really just reconnect with, with myself and, and have be void of distraction of, you know, payroll, payroll taxes, members, emails, all that stuff, all that stuff that just drowns us day. And that I want to get it all silenced and go be wild and, and be a man in the wild. And uh, I'm looking forward to it, man. Awesome. So what, um, I mean, you're again, obviously a very busy man and have have set yourself up for success that with, uh, owning a business and, and you know, the, your side hustles and your family and, and your fitness and health and everything. And obviously those things don't come overnight and it's always a, a learning process, but so how do you look at, you know, setting goals and accomplishing them? What's, what's kind of your, do you have a, a method for doing that? So for goals, yes. Um, goals are, I would say, imperative to mapping out how you're going to operate your day-to-day life. And so we, I set big goals in writing at the beginning of every year, kind of a reset, pretty cliche, but January 1, everything goes down in writing. And they're kind of like written out as their big goals, the things that we want to accomplish as a family and, and professionally, spiritually, um, hunting wise. And then they're broken down into smaller goals or smaller steps that lead to the big goal. And really it breaks down to just a laundry list of things that you need to do day in and day out that are going to move the needle every day, a little bit towards the big goal. And so it just, it just comes down to discipline and that's one thing that I'm thankful for is I am a very disciplined person, kind of always have been. So maybe that's just something that you are born with. I'm not sure. But I have bow hunted long enough to know that discipline wins in the long run. And so there's there's not a week that goes doesn't go by where I don't shoot several times a week. Um, there, It's just something I have to do. I've told people I'm not a great archer, but I feel great about archery when I get lots of reps. And I feel like that's something I can control. When it comes to fitness, I set goals along, you know, along the way, and I check in with my goals, and I test and retest. And and you know, fiscally with my business, I have goals, and I pursue them, and I check in, and I know what we need to do the, today, 
at the end of the week, at the end of the month, at the end of the quarter. Like you just have to have the small steps that lead to the big goal. And if you're not writing anything down and you're not taking the time to reflect and really make a plan, it's so cliche. You fail to plan, you plan to fail. And I didn't make that up, but it is just, it's Proverbs. It's something. It should be. If it isn't, it's just the, it's the world we live in. It's in. So I'm, I'm a guy that's kind of paranoid about failure. Failure is a, a very positive thing. It's driven me more and more to be successful. And failing is not a bad thing. It's just an opportunity to make some adjustments and try again until you figure out what's going to work for you. Yeah, no, that's that's great to hear. And and I'm sure, like, I mean, you're you were saying like you were almost you know born with the discipline side of things and everything. But that's something that um. I'm thinking can be learned as well, like as far as mental toughness is. And um, I, I don't know if you have anything to comment on that. I'm not really sure, but I, I know that that's something that's been, it seems like it's been inside me at least. It's not always easy, but I'm always, when I have a goal set in mind, that's just, I, that's what I think about. And I, you know, like you said, break it down into to small steps of how to complete those goals. And the, the hardest thing that, that I come across is, really looking back at them and taking the time to reflect and see where you're at. So I have like a spreadsheet written out and reminder in my calendar to go back, you know, every quarter and review that. And then I have it in red, yellow, or green, whether that, you know, I'm in progress, whether I've completed the goal or whether I'm behind off track, kind of like I do at work with my, you know, with my career right now same type of thing when i look at my action plan and try to to make sure that i'm setting myself up for you know success and sometimes you know the day-to-day stuff can seem like it's you're constantly you know not getting anywhere but once you look back at it you you realize you've accomplished more than you ever thought by being disciplined in it you know yeah yeah, I you know, you were asking can discipline be learned absolutely and you know, you're going to discipline yourself or someone else will. And it starts like early on. I think John Wooden said that to all his athletes, you know, that famous NCAA basketball coach for UCLA, John Wooden. I don't know how many titles he won, but a ton. Was he told all his players discipline yourself so so, so no one else has to cuz Either way, it's going to happen. And if you're not disciplined enough to put your seatbelt on every time you get in your vehicle, eventually you'll get a ticket or two or five, and maybe you'll learn the hard way. So to me, it boils down to small decisions every day that lead to the best decision, which will get you to your goal. And these small decisions seem very, I don't know, minor or not even important, but they are critical where you can literally change the direction that your life is going by this small, like seemingly insignificant decision to brush your teeth every day or to, you know, make your food for the week or to exercise four times a week, you know what I mean? Or to shoot your bow every day, you know what I mean? Just these little decisions, six months go by, and if you hadn't made those decisions, you wouldn't be where you're at. And so I, I think discipline is something that either you're just not going to learn the easy way. You're going to learn the hard way, and that's fine. And that's for some people, that's what it takes. 
but at the end of the day, no one can do it for you, Bo. You got to do it. You got to do it for yourself, and you better have it a game plan, and you better know your why, because your why will always basically be your compass day in and day out is with the decisions you need to make those small ones that are so critical and uh for me like that's that's kind of what's led me to where i'm at and and i'm still figuring things out bro but i'm telling you just discipline wins and and it's working towards the big goals yeah and it's it's funny when you said you know start with why there's a, a book i just read on that recently um I, I can't remember who who wrote the book but uh, it, it's called start with why and Simon Sinek, that's who it was. And Jordan Harbertson had referred it to me to read. And it was a great book to, to really, every so everything I do to how to prioritize it, you know, I go back to my why and why I'm doing that. And that's how I can kind of prioritize because you obviously can't do everything um, that you may want to. But by prioritizing those goals and executing them seem to be, at least put me on a better track. Let's put it that way. Definitely. I think that's solid advice and you know the topic to me I mean I've talked about it a lot on a lot of my content but it just doesn't get old to me it just boils down to discipline and um, th that's the bottom line and it's an absolute so are you going to discipline yourself to get to your goals you know how bad do you want it and is it really that important to you I don't know so for you to get your first elk this year there's a lot of small decisions that you need to make before you even step foot into the woods to put yourself in a position to accomplish that. So um, I'm excited to hear how your season goes and if yeah. all this tra all this training and knowledge gathering pays off for it. So I'm sure it will. Yeah, no, I'd, um, I'm thinking going in that it's a uh, 100% success rate. So that's how I'm going into it. <laughs> that's awesome, man. Yeah, but anyways, I, I don't want to keep you much longer here. I've already taken a little over an hour of your time here, Dan. So um one last question that I ask everyone on the podcast here before we end it. And my kind of slogan, everything with here is how do you define adventure? So that's, that's the question that I'm going to ask you. Mm, I don't think it's an adventure unless you're tested. And I don't know what that means exactly. Let's just use the term in a broad stroke tested in a way where it didn't come easy. The, that to me is adventure where, um, you think about it, it takes you to wild places and wild spaces, and there's no gimmies, you know. And that's kind of why I'm an advocate for public land, over-the-counter elk hunting, blue-collar style. Just I feel like there's no better reward than to finally put your hands on that bull that um, anyone else could have killed, and you did it yourself. To me, that's awesome, and there's a test along the way. And it's the test mentally, it's the test physically, emotionally. And it's a test of your discipline. And if you can pass that test, I mean, that's awesome. And if you don't, it's okay. It's still an adventure as long as there was a test and you were challenged and you faced adversity and you grew. I don't know. I think that's an adventure to me. So adventure to me equals growth. Awesome. I love it. That's perfect. So where can, uh, where can everyone find you and some of your stuff? to help them, you know, you know, we, we touched, you know, a, a brief, um, layer of all these topics here, but your podcast and, and your website and everything really digs into this stuff even more. So where can people find that? Yeah. And just elkshape.com. That website will lead you down the path of articles and workouts and 
the podcast is on all the places you would find a podcast and um instagram is um dan the fitness man is where i put most of my stuff and uh i try to be extremely just transparent authentic and i am who i am and if you want to follow along the journey go ahead awesome well thank you very much dan i appreciate you taking the time out definitely man my pleasure bo good luck this year you too see ya all right Thanks so much for listening to this episode of East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit eastmeetswesthunt.com, Facebook at East Meets West Outdoors, and Instagram at East Meets West Hunt. If you enjoyed today's episode, please review and subscribe, and we'll catch you next time.